Glad y'all are here. Happy Wednesday. Did you have a good spring break? Yeah? yeah. Looks like it was great. Y'all's answers are exciting. Well, we're in Philemon tonight, and uh, I'm going to pray and we'll dive right in. Uh, Lord, we're thankful for your word. We're humbled by it. Um, we count on a privilege and an opportunity, Lord, to stop down in the middle of the week and to consider um, your will, to consider your design, to consider the ways that you have taught your people throughout generations, to consider the motivations that you've laid on the hearts of certain people toward other people and how they wrote letters that, that we have as part of our Bible. Uh, Lord, I'm thankful for this um, unique little letter tonight and pray that you would bless our time according to your will. We love you. We humble ourselves before you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Pull those doors. Oh, you've been sneaking up on me. All right, so these Wednesday night studies have been overview survey studies where the goal is to kind of have an idea, like a bird's eye view of each of the books. And so this semester we started in Galatians. So what was the main point of Galatians? Faith. What was the main point of Ephesians? Unity and grace. Yes, you could have guessed probably on that one. Philippians was what? Main point of Philippians. Oh, we're a little rusty post-spring break. What's going on here? Just need to let you open your notes. Main point of Philippians was humility, Christ's humility, imitating Christ's humility. What about Colossians? That's right, not old life, but new life. Very good. First Thessalonians was the second coming. Second Thessalonians was on hope. First Timothy was on leadership. Second Timothy was on success. And does anyone remember what Titus was on? That was our most recent one. Great. Beginnings. I'm going to go ahead and pray and quit because we can't, uh, there's no memory of any teaching thus far. Now we're, uh, we're in Philemon tonight. That brings us to Philemon. And so uh, it's a very short book. It's 25 verses. And so rather than just taking it in parts, we have the opportunity now to kind of read the, the whole thing. And so I'm going to read it as a whole, and then we are going to uh, break it down. And as I read through it, I, I want you all to know the first time I read through this, and the second time, and even the third time, I didn't even, even almost get out of it the way Dever went with it. Um, and I've been studying Dever for years now. I mean, I've used his Old Testament survey to teach through the entire Old Testament. I've used his New Testament survey to teach through almost the entire New Testament. I kind of think I know how this guy thinks. And, and I went through this, and I was kind of looking at it, and I was like, maybe he'll take this angle or this angle. It's real short, so maybe, maybe it's a shorter thing. I'm going to have trouble packing it all in from what he got out of this. So I want to read it out loud. And I want you to see what, what you pick up on as the main points of this book, because it certainly wasn't what I picked up on at my first or my second read. So it says this, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. It's familiar language. We've heard him say that before. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus 
and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Jesus, of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though, I am bold enough to, in Christ to command you to do what is required. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner, also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to me, to, to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you, may, uh, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your own owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. After reading the book aloud, we just read the whole book aloud. We haven't gotten to do that on any Wednesdays. It's exciting. Aren't you excited? I'm excited. What would you say is the main point? Forgiveness. So you got the email today. I was wondering how many read the email. It was a little dual test. What are the... What are, no, I don't. I don't. That's true. I don't know that, Jerry. Um, what are the main things that are brought up? What are these main themes and points that we see there? Keeping short account? Yeah. Yeah, someone who was once useless can still be useful. I really thought that was going to be the main point. Like, everybody's useful in Jesus. That was... That was what I thought we were going to be doing tonight. Uh, and while that's part of it, it's certainly not the main part of it. Uh, you're correct. The main point of this book is forgiveness. This isn't a letter to a church. Remember, a lot of the letters are letters written to churches. This is a letter written to an individual. It's to an individual named Philemon. And it's about a guy named Onesimus. These 25 verses include 12 people. There's 12 people mentioned in these 25 verses. As we're talking about forgiveness, it seems so fitting that it's kind of spoken about in the context of just like the community of just messy, normal people. There's all these people and there's these things that they have to address. It's very fitting. These 25 verses are a picture of this. Someone needing forgiveness. This is our outline for the night. Someone needing forgiveness. Someone with the opportunity to forgive. And the picture of someone who is also encouraging such forgiveness. Someone who needs forgiveness. 
someone who has the opportunity to give forgiveness and a picture of someone who is encouraging forgiveness. Those are the three points that we're going to be considering tonight, three pictures, little portraits within these short 25 verses. So that said, first, someone needing forgiveness, that's Onesimus. It takes a little work to reconstruct what must have happened in this story. You got to kind of read between the lines and consider what's going on and where Paul is and how he's writing and where uh, Philemon is. Philemon is in the church in Colossae, the Colossian church, and he's a leader there. And so Paul has never been there. Paul likely met Philemon and led him to Christ and became a very important part of his journey of faith um, when they met each other in Ephesus. And so now they've both gone from Ephesus. Paul is in prison, and then Philemon is in uh, is leading the Colossian church in, in part. And so it takes work to reconstruct what happened here as we consider someone who needs to be forgiven, someone who has the opportunity to forgive, and someone who encourages forgiveness. So what can we glean about Onesimus from this letter? What do we know just from what we just read in these 25 verses? What do we know about Onesimus, the one who needs forgiveness? Say that again. He was a slave. He had to leave because something went wrong. Whose slave was he? Philemon. Was he useful to Philemon? No, this is awkward. <laughs> like, Paul's writing to him to bring back this guy who was useless. And who not only was he useless, but he wronged him. So Philemon, or so far we know about Onesimus, he was, he's no longer a slave, implying that he used to be a slave. And he was a slave that belonged to Philemon. And when we talk about slaves here, like in America, that's a, a terrible word because of our terrible history with slavery, and it's usually race-related. This has nothing to do with race. Uh, 90%, it's indentured servants, and 90% of the slaves were, were just workers. It would be a way to say workers. And so they were indentured servants, and a large portion of the professionals were as well. So like the doctors would have been slaves. The teachers would have been slaves. Like professionals would have been considered slaves, and it's very different from our setting. So just make sure that's clear as we're talking about slaves. It's not sort of the, the, the dirty uh, version of that that we've had in America that thankfully we don't have anymore. So he was no longer a slave, but when he was a slave, he belonged to Philemon, and when he belonged to Philemon, he was useless. And it appears that at some point he must have wronged Philemon. In verse 18, it says, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. So there's something that happened while Paul was in prison. And here's something else. If Paul's in prison and that's where he meets Onesimus, what do we know about Onesimus? He's probably in prison. So his bad decisions that he was making there probably followed him wherever he went and he continued to make bad decisions. And lucky you, of all of the people who ever went to prison over all of the years, he's cellmates with Paul the Apostle Paul. And so he runs into Paul here, and so he, he's wrong Philemon, and Dever, Dever says this, he says, it seems likely that Onesimus had wronged Philemon by fleeing, since Paul knows he cannot justify Onesimus's continued absence from Philemon without his consent. So there's this picture where Paul's like, you're a Christian now, you're converted, you're really useful to me, and then Onesimus says, well, I do have a little history. 
I got some stuff that happened back in the day when I belonged to Philemon. And Paul realizes here that, um, that he can't justify continuing with Onesimus even after he gets out of prison. He can't justify continuing with him unless he goes and makes things right with Philemon. He has to go and make things right with Philemon. Paul sees this. Paul is mature. Paul is older in his age. Now he understands this and he sends him back. Also, many have speculated that Onesimus must have stolen something from, uh, from Philemon or he either stole something or he stole service, like he was paid for service that he didn't render. And something went wrong and, it, and most believe that he fled in order to, um, in fear of retribution. Whatever the reason is, Here's what we can know for sure. Onesimus left on bad and unresolved terms. He left on bad and unresolved terms. So, but what happened after he fled? So he leaves on terrible terms, and what happens? I, I just kind of gave it away, but what, what, what happened? Just to make sure we're all clear. He gets saved. He, he runs into Paul in prison, and he gets saved. He became a Christian, and he became more useful, especially to Paul. So it becomes very clear that he's not only useful, but he's very important to Paul. What are some phrases that Paul uses to describe Onesimus in this book? My son. At first, the, like the first time I read it, I was like, whoa, Paul had an illegitimate kid while he was in prison. Weird. That's not at all what happened here. That's a wrong way to read it. But the first time I ever read it, I was like, hold on, I pray, I've... Uh, I appeal to you from my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. I mean, if you just take that, you isolate that, it, it sounds really bad. But um, that's not the case. But he does refer to him as his son. He refers to him as useful. He refers to him as very dear. And there's even one point where he refers to him as my very heart. Onesimus is important to Paul. Very, very important. So what does Paul do? Through conversation, Onesimus explains the situation with Philemon, and what does Paul do? He writes a letter on his behalf, and he sends him home with that letter. He writes a letter on his behalf, and he sends him back home. So what, what does Onesimus need at this point? Obviously forgiveness, but what else? What does he need to do? He needs to right the wrong. He needs to make restitution. Another thing that he needs, which is interesting here, is to be valued. Paul's saying... He's useful to me. I'm sending him back to you, and maybe he'll be even more useful to you, not just as a servant, but as a brother. So Onesimus needs to be forgiven. He needs to make the wrongs right. He needs to be valued. Paul like, goes to pretty significant extremes to say, Philemon, you, you've got to value him. You've got to have him back. We've got to make this right. So he has to be valued, and then he has to be protected. Verse 22 says, um, at the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers I'll be graciously given to you. There's this picture that not only is he sending him back, but he's expecting that he'll be welcomed back into Philemon's house, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But he'd be welcomed back into the house. He would be protected. He would be valued. And Paul is saying to him, and prepare a room for me, because I'm, I'm going to come check up on all this. Like Paul's like writing in some accountability and some, some structure for how this is going to play out because Onesimus has a responsibility. And apparently, according to Paul, Philemon has a responsibility here to make this whole thing right. 
So, Dever kind of concludes, he says, so this is Onesimus, the slave who stole, fled, and then found Paul. And in finding Paul, he found Christ, and he found his way back home. And now he shows up on Philemon's doorstep with nothing but a letter from Paul. I mean, this little thing, when you start breaking it down, is really quite the drama, right? I mean, climb into this story and consider what it must have been like to be Onesimus. You screwed up. You were useless. You found Jesus. You get another chance. You show up on the doorstep of this guy who you have wronged, and you should pay a penalty for that wrong, and all you have is a letter from Paul. I mean, you got to know that letter must have been really valuable to him before he gave it over to Philemon. He shows up on Philemon's doorsteps with nothing but a letter from Paul. Imagine for a moment the helplessness of this convicted convert, needing forgiveness, helpless to repay it. He couldn't repay it. Cared for only by someone who's old and far away in prison. Like, that, that's how he made the journey. I've got this letter, and I've got the support of an old guy in prison. That is it. He was useless. He did not have like a community. He did not have money. He had nothing, and he's going back to the very place where all of this wrong happened. He can offer nothing, and he deserves punishment. That's where he's at. So that's Onesimus. Now, we see someone needing forgiveness, and now let's consider someone with this opportunity to forgive, which is Philemon, obviously. Consider all that Paul asks Philemon. Look at verse 17. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. So what's the first thing that Paul asks Philemon to do for Onesimus? Let him come back. Receive him. Welcome him. Now, put yourself in Philemon's shoes for a minute. Now, we, we were in Onesimus' shoes just a minute ago. Now, now put yourself in Philemon's shoes. You, you hear the knock at the door. The door opens up. And Mr. Useless is standing there. Mr. Useless Crook. The loser who stole from me. What must that have been like for Philemon to, to see him and then to get this letter that's obviously written by Paul, apparently he writes big, that's all I can figure out. He's got bad eyes. He's got an eye issue. I think that might have been his thorn. Just saying. Um, but what must that have been like for Philemon? What would your response be? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's, I mean, these are human beings. There's, there's 12 human beings mentioned in 25 verses, and they're all very similar to us, except for Philemon probably had more money and more power. And so, it probably just like you said, anger, well, look who it is. Oh, let me see your stupid letter. <laughs> I mean, I'm just assuming Philemon's a lot like me. And, and then he reads the letter, and then he realizes... Paul, who led me to Jesus, who helped me plant this church, who's largely responsible for my faith, is telling me to do some pretty difficult things in regards to forgiveness towards Onesimus. So it must have been, he probably anger something he probably dealt with. What else do you think maybe he dealt with? So, 
<laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so welcome him back and be happy about it. That's, that's probably odd. What, what else must it have been like for, for Philemon? What else is he processing there? Paul seems to be saying, do you, do you realize, no longer a slave. So, in fact, before I went to the ESV, I had the um, New, New Living Translation or something like that. So early on in my days here at Crosspoint, I had a Bible and I liked it. And, uh, and Ben had an ESV and he was always making fun of my Bible. So even more so, I'm not going to get a new Bible. And so... And then he started calling it the Worship Leader International version, because I was the worship leader. And, uh, and I was always like, dude, you're just judgmental. You're a loser. Shut up. I don't care. And, and then we got to this part, and the Worship Leader International version says not only a slave, but also a friend. And it's very important in this book that he is no longer a slave. It's not that he's not only a slave. It's that he's no longer a slave. And then I went to ESV and the rest is history, whatever. But he's no longer a slave. So, so not only is he to receive him back... Not only does he have to receive him back, but he has to be happy about it. Not only does he have to be happy about it, but he's not even getting his slave back. He's got this letter saying, he's a brother to you now. He is one who is in Christ, and he's not your slave anymore. That must be a little awkward. Why, and why is that awkward? Say that again. Because he was wronged. Philemon was wronged. That, that's still there. That's still there, so that, that's going to be awkward. What else about Philemon? What, put yourself in his shoes. What else might he be thinking? Yeah, he's absolutely, because of that culture, he's being asked to put him up in his own house. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, really, imagine it's your doorstep, the person who wronged you. You got this letter. You're gonna welcome him. You're gonna like it. He's not. He's not your slave anymore, and he's useful to you. I mean, every part of your flesh says he's not trustworthy. I don't think he's useful at all. I've seen how the guy works. He's a total loser. And then he stole what I paid him that he didn't even earn and left. And now he's back with a letter, not with money, but with a letter that's telling me that I have to like him and I have to welcome him into my home. And, I, and, and apparently he's useful to me. What else? Yeah. And he has no money to pay you back. There's still a wrong there. There's still a wrong. This must have been odd, I think, my opinion, for Philemon. Look at verse 18. So here's what Paul's asking. He says, welcome him back. And then in verse 18, he says, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. So this is really interesting. Paul is saying, welcome him back and transfer his debt to me. So what must Onesimus must, how must Philemon view Paul to transfer Onesimus' debt to Paul. Trustworthy? He's his advocate. Yeah. And what does an advocate have to do here? 
You've got to cover for them. Which, what does covering include? Repaying, which, which in, insinuates what? Money. Whose money? Paul's. So it means he's doing what? He's giving money, which is a what? A sacrifice, a significant sacrifice. I've got one word I want y'all to say, and I'm going to get you there. <laughs> sacrifice. Transfer his debt to me. Paul, Paul, I really want us to be careful here and watch what happens. Because Paul doesn't write this letter and say, Hey, Philemon, act like it never happened. Philemon, let bygones be bygones. Philemon's water under the bridge. Philemon, he's a Christian now, so he doesn't have to repay you. That's not how it works. There's still a problem. Paul acknowledges a genuine indebtedness that must be reconciled. That which is part of the problem must always be dealt with when there's a conflict. Anytime there's a conflict, sometimes Christians approach it in weird ways, and sometimes it's confusing, and sometimes you feel like, well, a Christian wronged me, so I guess I got to forgive them, and it is what it is, and I guess it is, I mean, well, okay, my Christian brother stole from me, well, I guess I forgive the debt, because they're Christians, and I'm, I'm a Christian. Paul really goes to great lengths here to, to, to acknowledge the debt, to acknowledge the problem. And what we see here is, is a, a soberness in regards to the fact that that which is part of the problem has to be dealt with. You don't just get over it. You don't just ignore it. If it is the kind of thing um, that brings a conflict or a brokenness or a division into a relationship, it has to be dealt with. Um, Proverbs 19 says it's our glory to overlook an offense. That means that some offenses are overlookable, which also indicates that some offenses are not overlookable. And the offenses that are not overlookable are the offenses that you, can't, you don't just get over. If you say something to me that hurts my feelings, but you didn't mean to say it, maybe you just said it in passing and it wasn't real thoughtful, I, sh I should overlook that offense. I should be able to get past that. But, you know, if you steal from me and then flee with the stuff and then come back and, you know, it's like, wait, you, I, you still have my money. You, I, I love you. I'm ready to forgive you. Anything you want to say? Anything you want to give me? You know, I mean, he, it's okay. Paul here is saying that which is part of the problem has to be dealt with. So Paul is saying, uh, Philemon, you have to welcome Onesimus, and I want you to transfer his debt, and then I want you to care for Onesimus. I mean, that, it's, he's not saying just go through the motions and let him back in. He's, he's saying show him kindness. Treat him the way you would treat me. And then he says, receive Paul. So Paul is saying, welcome Onesimus, transfer his debt to me, care for him, show him kindness, let him back in your home. And finally, receive me. Paul apparently plans to come check on things. He's never been to Colossae. And he's going out of his way to go there to consider this situation between these two brothers who aren't reconciled. As well, I, I think that Philemon's situation is is wildly complex as I'm looking at it. Uh, do you think do, do you think Philemon actually would be inclined to transfer the debt to Paul? I mean, let's say someone steals from you. 
And let's say that after they steal from you, they become a Christian. And they just happen to become a Christian by meeting the same guy who led you to the faith. And he led you to the faith, and he's important to you, and he's like a, a father in the faith, you know, like, like someone you look up to. And that same person led that person who stole from you. But that guy who led you to faith is now an old man in prison who says, whatever they stole from you, put it on my tab. Put it on my tab. I will repay it. There had to have been, Philemon had to have been like, yeah, I guess I'm just going to eat that. I don't, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to send an invoice to Paul in cell block eight or whatever. That's not, that's not going to happen. So it, it, that's conjecture, admittedly, but you got to wonder, that's kind of weird, right? Like, it'd be like someone really influential saying, oh yeah, I'll, I'll pay for it. And then you're like, oh yeah, give me the money. Like, it's just, it's just weird. So, Philemon's situation is this. Consider his role in the church. Dever notes, as we read through this and you consider the background, furthermore, we note that Philemon has sufficient economic standing, enough to employ slaves, and he's generous enough to provide his home as the meeting place for the Colossian church. So we know that Philemon is powerful. Philemon has money. Philemon has employees. Philemon has a home so significant that he's allowing the Colossian church to meet there, and it's clear that he is a leader in the church. So his prominence demands that his actions set an example. Paul knows this. Paul knows that what Philemon does with Onesimus is going to affect the church. That's why he approaches it with the sobriety, but the directness that he does. Consider also in Philemon's situation, just the difficulty of forgiving. It's not hard for us to be to put ourselves in his shoes, but even in the ancient culture there, um, in this culture, the ancient world, forgiveness was not considered honorable. It was considered a sign of weakness. I mean, this is a powerful guy who has money and has slaves, and one of them stole from him and fled. And if he just goes easy on the guy, well, aren't the others going to try to steal from me? Aren't the others going to think I'm weak? Are people going to try to exploit me because I didn't come down hard on this guy? Are, am I endangering my neighbors by being weak? I mean, th this is a different setting than ours. And in this culture, it was not... Like, we can look at it as Christians and be like, come on, Philemon, do the right thing. Let bygones be bygones. A totally different culture there. This was not like a Christian culture. This was a pagan culture where Christianity was a baby. And forgiving people was not looked at as a strength. It was looked at as a sign of weakness. Consider also the obligation that he must have felt, right? I mean, as you read this book, one might ask the question, could Philemon really do anything else? As painful as forgiveness must have been. I just want to consider for a moment that Scripture never says that forgiveness is not really painful. Scripture never indicates that forgiveness is... Um, should be easy just because you're a Christian. Even though we can fully comprehend the forgiveness that we have received in Christ, forgiveness will still be hard, whether it be a small offense or a great offense. It can still be very difficult. You may be able to, in your mind, say, okay, I'm a sinner. Jesus forgave me in Christ. I can forgive anybody. So in your mind, you may be able to do that, but when it comes to like, the situation and the emotions of it, it's difficult why do you think Paul's so emphatic in this letter? 
I'll be straight up. I think Paul is pushy and annoying in this letter. If I was Philemon, I would have some thoughts toward Paul that wouldn't be so great, probably. I'll share those in a second. But this obligation to forgive, could Philemon really do anything else, even as painful as forgiving might be? Scripture never says it's not painful. If anything, it affirms the difficulties of being wronged and moving in a gracious gospel manner. There is difficulty in being wronged and then applying the gospel and moving in a very gracious, gospel-centered, Christ-centered manner. It's hard. Has anyone been wronged? I mean, everyone in here has been wronged. We can all relate to this. Um, Look at verse 6. It's an interesting verse. It says this. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. It's a big verse. Let me read it again. I pray, I, Paul, pray for you, Philemon, who has this issue with Onesimus. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. A lot of people will use this as an evangelism verse. Like, as you share your faith, I pray that the sharing of your faith makes you more effective and more knowledgeable and you really gain a standing in your, in your faith. There's no doubt that sharing your faith makes your faith stronger. That's a biblical principle. There's no doubt about it. But that's not what he's talking about here. To say that that verse is about evangelism is to completely take it out of its context and just impose whatever meaning you want. It's true. Sharing your faith always makes you stronger. But here's what it means. Dever notes... And get this, this is a very important point. When Philemon brings Onesimus back and restores him, he will have a fuller understanding of what God has done for him in Christ. He will have a fuller knowledge of the riches of his own Christian faith. This isn't about, he's he's not urging Philemon to go and evangelize more in Colossae. He's urging Philemon to welcome Onesimus back. And when he welcomes him back, he will in a profound way more fully understand what was done for him in Christ. How could he not? Think about your own life. If someone greatly wrongs you, is it hard to to even consider forgiveness? Well, yeah, especially when it's fresh. But here, there's no background. The guy disappears with everything and shows up on the doorstep. And it's still like, okay, here you are on my doorstep. What are we going to do? But then we're led through this gospel thing that happened when Onesimus became a believer through Paul. And what we see here is that as soon as Philemon brings Onesimus back into his home, he will understand the gospel in a more profound way. It is the same way in every one of our lives. When we have been wronged and we have someone in front of us who needs forgiveness and is standing at the doorstep with really nothing to offer other than please forgive me, in that moment when they can give you nothing, when they can make your life no better, when, they have, when there's no benefits other than trying to right the wrong, in that moment, when forgiveness is granted, it will have a profound effect on you in ways that other things don't. What God has done for us in Christ, he'll have a full, Philemon will have a fuller knowledge of his own riches. 
by forgiving what was stolen, he will have a fuller knowledge of his own riches. Just think through that for a minute because it's like a brain twister to me. By forgiving what was taken from him, he will somehow have a full knowledge, a fuller knowledge of what's genuinely valuable. I'm saying that knowing that could mean something completely different for every person sitting in this room. In forgiving what was taken, you can have a fuller appreciation and understanding of what is really valuable. That can mean something different for everybody. So we've seen someone who needs forgiveness. We've seen someone who has the opportunity to grant forgiveness. And then we see someone who is encouraging this forgiveness. Is Paul's role not really important here? Encouraging this forgiveness. When we see brothers and sisters in the midst of conflict, our culture generally tells us to mind our business. And there's even a lot of church culture that says keep your nose out of people's business. But I think we would do well to follow Paul's leading by investing himself fully. When Paul sees this conflict, I mean, he just met Onesimus, but he knew Philemon. When Paul sees this conflict, he fully invests himself. He doesn't just give it a conversation. He gives it a conversation. He gives it prayer. He gives it a plan to send the guy back. He writes to, he appeals to Philemon accordingly. He knows the situation. He knows what Philemon said. He knows what Onesimus said. He knows that there was a wrong. He knows the details. And it's not a waste of time for him to figure all of that out. It's not a waste of time for him to be a peacemaker. It is time well spent for Paul to be a peacemaker. It is time well spent for every follower of Christ to be a peacemaker. So just to be clear, what are some ways that Paul invests himself fully in the situation? What does he do? Just, just recount it real quick. He gives his own money away. He vouches for the guy. He writes a letter. He's, going to, he's putting accountability in place for Philemon, even though Philemon wasn't the one who did something wrong. He's putting accountability in place. What else? The big one is that he's going to go there. Nothing to this. He's old and in prison, and he's never been to the Colossian church. Nothing in his life to this point. Old, retired, chained up prisoner has made him need to make his path to Colossae. He went to Ephesus where he met Philemon. Philemon got saved. Philemon's a church leader now, prominent guy. But he's never been to Colossae. Now he's saying, you know what, this is so important. I've never been there, but for the sake of making sure that Philemon and Onesimus have reconciled their conflict, I'm going to send some directions. And uh, and in my directions, hey, Philemon, get a room ready for me. Because I've got some accountability coming your way. I want to see how this thing's going. That is, in, that is fully invested. I mean, when you get tired of hearing about someone who's in a conflict, and you're, you're kind of, okay, I've, I gave it an hour. I mean, that's never enough. It takes days, weeks, months maybe, and it's worthwhile. Yeah. 
Yeah. God cares enough about this dynamic between these two to include it in the canon of Scripture that is considered all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for training us up. I mean, we learn from this so that we can go and do likewise. And not only that, but I see, I'll come back to you. With the point you're making about, about he cares and that, that caused Paul to care, I mean, I don't, it's, it's a short book, so we kind of got to dive in and, and figure the situation. But like, if, if you're at work or you're, it's the end of a day, and someone comes to talk to you, or it's you know it's the evening, and someone's like, "Hey, I, you know, I got this issue with so and so, or whatever." Like it's real easy for us to be like real short. Paul was in prison. I mean, just just think about that for a minute, because he could have said, "Oh yeah, you got a problem with someone? I'm in prison. Like I'm chained to the wall. I'm in jail for sharing my faith." Onesipus, useless guy. Like, he could have just totally been like, you know what, I'm like a super apostle, and you're telling me about your problem with your old boss. That's essentially what's going on here. You don't even work there anymore. You don't even live there anymore. And I'm, I'm a super apostle. I mean, he doesn't do that. He, he, he found that the dynamics between their relationship was profoundly important. And he, he could have, t- he, the off-ramps were everywhere. He could have left the conversation, but he didn't. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, from that observation, it's likely another layer. It's, it's really likely that, that Philemon was a really good boss. He's probably a great guy to work for. He's probably very fair. If, if he was leading like this in the church and he had this, this influence, it was probably not just stealing from a guy, but stealing from a guy who was a really great boss, who was caring, who was loving. Yeah, and Paul, Paul knows that, but Paul's still emphatic. You know, he's still, I mean, and that's kind of this next part that, you know, he sends use, I mean, and remember, Onesimus was useful to Paul. So he sends someone who's useful, who could have been like a help to him while he's, you know, in prison, back to make this right. And he's hoping that he'll get out of jail and be able to go and follow it up. I mean, it's just the, the level of of involvement here. He sends him back to Philemon. He assumes his debt. He plans to follow up in person. He invests time, energy, money, all because it's worth it. And as noble and good as this is, I think this could have been difficult for Philemon. As, as I mentioned a couple things about Paul earlier, he could have felt manipulated by Paul, right? Like, let's say you're a ministry leader and someone else sends back the loser who stole from you says he is useful to you now, 
You need to welcome them back. Um, let's say you're a business owner. Let's say you're successful in whatever way. I mean, I was reading this. As I read this letter, I kind of really identified with, with Philemon. And, and identifying with Philemon, I thought, um, I probably would have felt manipulated by Paul, potentially. Um, I could feel like Paul is being disloyal. Like, hey, Paul, what, um, like you led me to Jesus, and now you're taking this loser's side? Like he stole from me, and then he left. What's the deal? You could, he could have seen Paul as disloyal. He could, have, he could feel like Paul's being pushy. Paul is being pushy. And he could have been offended by how pushy Paul is being. That's a tongue twister. Exactly. I snickered when I read that the first time because he's like, I'm going to ask you to do something. You and I both know. I'm Paul. <laughs> like, I could throw down and tell you what to do. And not only that, he does it again at the end where he says, um, I, Paul, with my own hand, I, write, write my own hand, I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even of yourself. Like, like yeah, like, I'll, I'll repay the debt even though you owe me you. Like your life. Your eternal. eternal life, yeah. Yeah, so it's like, I'm asking for the world in this letter, and I'm assuming you'll do more. Like, Paul's, he's pulling a rank. And one might say he needs to mind his own business, right? You could have that view. I mean, it's not hard for us to sit here and say, okay, just read, like, you're reading this, you got this guy here, the guy who led you to Christ is saying, I got to do this stuff, and not only do I have to do it, I have to do it in a happy way, and with a happy heart and a smile on my face, and I gotta, I'm not going to charge Paul the money that this loser stole. I'm not going to do that. Paul's old and he's in prison. And, oh, oh, you're going to come check up on me. And you're going to stay in my house. Like you're gonna, I'm going to make a room for you to come and wipe my nose and make sure that I'm doing this right. Like That could easily be how Philemon would feel. And as I was thinking through this, I got to this part in Devers' notes which was convicting, and he said, Philemon will feel offended if he has understood everything about Christianity except the gospel. That's a good point. Philemon will be offended if he has understood everything about Christianity except the gospel. Paul is ultimately following the example of his master, who went to far greater lengths to make peace. Dever notes, there is nothing nearer the heart of Christian faith than the recognition of of our own need to forgive because our need for forgiveness is in Christ. I'm going to read that again. Nothing is nearer the heart of Christian faith than the recognition of our own need to forgive because of our need for forgiveness in Christ. Matthew 5, 9, Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. That must have been a motivation for Paul. Yeah. And I'm surely he could have expected Philemon to have felt the same way. But to agree with Paul and not have to pay back his debt, I mean, that could, that could be a motivation 
Oh yeah, absolutely. And and you got to remember. Yeah. Yeah, he was new to the faith, and this is probably so. This is really interesting because he sends him back to his house, which was his former place of business. But now that house is a place where church is happening. So this would have been Onesimus's first church experience. He's going back home, but in going back home, he's going to this first early baby Christian church. And so welcoming back into his home is, is, a, is, a, is a part of the beauty and the, the undivided nature of the followers of Christ in the church. And so uh, here, you know, in, the ne- in Matthew 5, 9, he says, blessed are the peacemakers, they'll be called sons of God. But then in the very next chapter is where he's teaching us how to pray, right? And he says, consider the Lord's prayer in the next chapter. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That's how we're supposed to pray. And so a very sober question to ask at the end of this study is, do you really want to be forgiven the same way you have forgiven others? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do you really want to be forgiven the same way you have forgiven others? Do you want God to have towards you a view of forgiveness that is similar to the way you view forgiveness if you're ever wronged by another I wanted to end with that question and also with just an encouragement that peacemaking is a very important thing in our church, in every church. It's an important thing to, to the Christian faith. And um, this is a book that I want to recommend. It's called The Peacemaker, A Biblical Guide to Resolving Personal Conflict. Um, ben and I went to this and got this training together, and we've quit yelling at each other and choking each other, and it's, it's, it's been good for our relationship. We didn't know that at the time, but it really helped us. And... Uh, and and it helps just to train you how to deal with things because when Paul heard Onesimus' story, he could have just been like, I'm going to pray for you, buddy. <laughs> but he didn't. He gave specific direction. He was smart about the wrong. He was smart about the need for reconciliation. He was smart about directing people in even how to receive someone who comes and asks for forgiveness. He was smart in those things. And this training, this book is helpful. It's got um, uh, one of the things is the peacemaking principles, responding to conflict biblically. It has all the, it's this little pamphlet that just the pamphlet alone is helpful. I mean, I went to training for a week up north and it was helpful, but I mean, this is unmet desires and the slippery slope of conflict, escape responses, denial, flight, suicide, attack responses, assault, litigation, murder, or peacemaking responses, which is overlooking an offense, reconciliation, negotiation, mediation, arbitration, accountability, and it explains all those according to the gospel. It has the seven A's of a good confession, the four promises of forgiveness, like when you forgive someone, I won't dwell on this, I won't bring this up and use it against you, I won't talk to others about this, I won't allow this to stand between us and end our relationship. The pause of principle of negotiating and building a culture of peace in your church, I mean, this is probably one of the well, it's the only pamphlet in my office that I, that I hand out. So, um, and another version of it is this one, just this slippery slope, staying on top of conflict, um, even shorter thing. But um, I don't know. I, it's, you might have conflict in your life that you need to work through. This is a great resource. Um, they have a whole ministry um, that is a great resource. Um, or you may just want to do a better job of being a peacemaker because this whole book exists because Paul did what he should have done in light of the situation, in light of the gospel. So, um, sweet little book, sweet little 
25 verses here that just kind of paint this beautiful picture of the forgiveness we have in Christ and how that should affect the way we move with others. Let's pray. Lord, you are great and greatly to be praised. I'm, I'm thankful for your word. I'm humbled by it. Um, Lord, I confess that um, I can be a grudge holder. I can be bitter. Um, I can be easily frustrated. And as I see what happened here between these brothers in Christ, I'm, I'm encouraged that there's a better way. And I'm encouraged that, that we have that opportunity every time there's conflict. Lord, we know that conflict is inevitable within our, our church, um, within any church, um, within marriage, within parenting. Um, but we know that where that conflict is, there's just this wonderful opportunity for the gospel to be put on display. Um, it's a wonderful opportunity to understand the beauty of repentance, and it's a wonderful opportunity for us to really understand what's valuable. Um, Lord, I, this book can hit every person in this room in a different way, and so I entrust um, that to you, and I humble myself before you, and as a group, we desire to be more conformed to your word. Whatever that means, whatever that looks like, we pray for wisdom, discernment, and insight. We love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all have a good evening.